Hello, this is Mike Van Meter. Welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. I want to thank you for joining me. You can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. I want to introduce you to our brand new sponsor, FHE Health. This episode is, in fact, sponsored by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. Take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. So tonight, I'd like to introduce you to Mike N. And I met Mike N., I want to say, about four years ago, about the time he came into uh, the program of recovery that I belong to. And uh, just by way of background, um, I actually met Mike's wife prior to meeting Mike. And I met her um, in a program that is designed for spouses of um, or significant others of, of people that need to be in recovery. And she, I just remember, uh, you know, what a great positive woman, you know, his, his, his wife was, I'm saying at the time was, still is, yeah, still, still know Mike and his wife, both fantastic people. And I just remember hearing her talking about, you know, how she was working hard to take care of herself and work her own program of recovery while she was hoping and praying and working to, to get her husband into recovery. And she just had so much hope and she had so much, um, desire and willingness to take care of herself. But at the same time, you know, her husband, Mike, who we're going to talk to tonight, was struggling with uh, uh, alcoholism himself. And I'm happy to report that I've known Mike over the last four years. And I, I remember Mike when he first came in to the program. I mean, the first week, I, I believe, is when I met Mike. And one thing I will say about Mike is that he hit the, the ground running with this program, which is, if you've been around recovery for a while, you know, is unusual. It, it, more often the case, people really fight and resist the, the program of recovery and um, mo lots of relapses, lots of issues. And, um, and it's sad because that really just people need to follow some simple suggestions. And Mike did that. I have to say that Mike uh, grabbed hold of the, uh, of recovery with everything he had and, uh, it's been phenomenal, and I, it's hard for me to believe that it's already been four years uh, since he started the program. And so with that, Mike N. is with us here tonight. Mike, welcome. Thanks for having me, Mike. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, Mike, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you, you know, sort of your, your background, um, you know, just a li little bit about your, your upbringing, maybe, um, maybe your life. And so what led to the issues that, that brought you to this program? Okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I grew up, uh, in the great state of Maine, um, single parent, uh, it was me and my sister only. And, uh, you know, I had, uh, really all my relatives, uh, around me growing up in Maine, but, uh, you know, it was the normal stuff in the 60s and 70s. Uh, you know, you have some drinking relatives. Uh, never noticed uh, anybody particular uh, overindulging, per se. Uh, so it was a great childhood. I wouldn't say the best, but uh, it was uh, to me, it was a great childhood. My mom did a lot of things, uh, you know, to make sure that I, I obviously I never miss my dad. Uh, come to find out later on, he also struggled uh, with addiction, with uh, alcohol. Um, and, uh, so that's probably where 
I got it through the bloodline. Um, and that's uh, explained in, in my story a little bit down the road. But uh, yeah, so I really uh, didn't have a lot of issues. I did your typical drink every once in a while at, at parties at, uh, in high school. Um, you know, tested marijuana, really didn't like it too much. Uh, but I had a really good childhood. You know, I was kind of an A-B student. And uh, yeah, so my friends were, I was into, you know, uh, sports and, uh, you know, uh, other th- uh, curricular activities. So it was, it was pretty germane uh, growing up uh, during the 60s and 70s and, of course, 80s. Is uh, when I entered active duty military, and to be honest, you know, I've heard a lot of stories. That's probably where that love of alcohol probably took off. Um, you know, I had uh, I went to basic training in San Antonio, Texas, and uh, you know, we graduated after eight weeks, and we all went out to have our first beer. It was a tall, frosty one at at a uh, assembly area, you know, a rec center activity for us folks. And it probably just took off from there thinking back, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, getting into the groove of being in the military, hang around folks. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, I was, and I still am in some kind of law enforcement capacity. So, uh, cops were known specifically military cops were doing a lot of partying. So, uh, so I, I would, Ventures to say that's probably where my drinking kind of took off a little bit. And I love the fact that it, how it made me feel. I didn't need it to look, make um, me comfortable around people. I'm an extreme extrovert, but I did like how it made me feel uh, going out to parties, socializing, whatever that was. So, uh, you know, and that continued on throughout my 20 years uh, or so in the military um, and military assignments that I, w- I was at. Um, there are plenty of times where, you know, I drank excessively or, you know, there's sometimes I didn't drink at all or drank some. So, uh, but there was always a drink somewhere along the line uh, when I was on uh, my break time um, from work or, you know, it was, uh, you know, some lag time, maybe a few here and there. It would never had got to the point where I got obsessive on it and I needed it to kind of control my life uh, like I did later on uh, drinking. So, um, I didn't have any significant events happen to me while I was in the military. I, uh, I uh, retired, full military honors, um, discharged, uh, retired in 2004. Um, there were probably some times where I probably shouldn't have been driving, but, uh, you know, cops, there were no consequences along the road at all. That's, that's one of the problems. And if, if I was drunk or inebriated, it was always some, you know, cop, fellow cop take you home and tuck you in the bed, whatever. So, um, yeah, so it was a life of non-consequences uh, for me. And, you know, I retired in 2004, <clears throat> excuse me, and that kind of still continued on, on my way, but not realizing that the fact that I, th- I think it came with the fact that I knew I wasn't in the military anymore. And so I think and it's the same time I kind of met my, my, my wife I'm with today um, that my drinking kind of accelerated a little bit along the way, not me paying attention to it. But I think my, my wife early on kind of noticed that as well, you know, where I, you know, I went from, you know, uh, you know, having several beers with the folks at, at a local bar to, I was, I was having boxes of wine, um, you know, through the week, I could go through a box of wine in, in a day or so, or, um, but it became a lifestyle for me. It was, I, I tell people it's much more like 
It became more like if you're drinking, you need a glass of water or you're putting on your pants in the morning or taking a shower. It was part of a routine that I had built into me, not even knowing that. So, uh, you know, it, it's not of like needing it. It's just it, I put it in my system because it became a normal part of my life. And there were times because I had gone through a divorce and struggling with my ex-wife and there were, and I tell my wife now, we, we talked about it, it's like, I just got done screaming and yelling at my ex-wife. I need a drink. Get me a drink. So I use that to kind of, you know, as a way to calm my nerves, like most alcoholics I've heard in the room, you know, and they're stressed or they need a vent or need an outlet. Alcohol was the, was the place to go. Certainly I, I use that. So and that continued on um, until I moved up here in the, in the uh, North Virginia area and my, my new assignment, same thing. I worked at another federal agency that, uh, you know, drank uh, excessively and I drank excessively with them. And uh, so that continued on and I moved to another federal agency within a year and, and the drinking continued along that way. When I moved up in Northern Virginia in 2008, I became self-isolated because I didn't have any friends up here. So I was always drinking alone besides with my wife. So that was a point that, you know, people talk about isolating themselves because they don't want anybody to see them or they want to drink alone for that specific reason. I just didn't have anybody. So I always drank alone. So, uh, so yeah, so I moved to another federal agency and that continued on. Then I was experiencing some physical issues while I was at work. And I always thought it was maybe my eating habits or, you know, the stress I was having at, at work not realizing that I was drinking so much that I was having withdrawal symptoms at work, right? It's like where I couldn't even like uh, type uh, a memo or I would have the sweats or I would start shaking some. Uh, so, I, but I just brushed it off as because of, of stress, not knowing that the alcohol was inducing all that uh, to me and that I was actually having withdrawals. Yeah, DTs, uh, delirium tremens, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that who knows what kind of danger I put myself. And I know that um, there was one time I was with my my wife at, at the metro station and I just collapsed in her arms. And that was probably starting of that process, probably in 2014, somewhere around there. Um, so that kind of happened where I got evaluated, you know, and again, along the line, no one has ever told me that. I drank too much, or you may be an alcoholic, or you need to seek help. Nowhere along the 20-something years that anybody said that. Mostly probably because the people that I, I uh, hung around with drank like me. Uh, some didn't drink like me. I drank more than them. But no one ever kind of said that, um, not being around people that uh, didn't drink. You, you know, you don't, they don't see that. But my wife started to see that. Uh, she got a little bit more concerned about my, my physical well-being. And I know at the hospital when I was on, on a military base, uh, one of the gentlemen suggested that I go maybe uh, to a treatment uh, facility. Have I thought about, you know, this, that? Again, no one has ever talked to me about AA, right? So uh, more so to get help at a medical facility and go through treatment, yada, yada, yada. So, and that took me a little while to do that. And, and my venture started with treatment and those kind of things uh, in 15. And in between that time, um, you know, I, I got my, you know, first DUI 
last DUI, my, my chance. So, and that was kind of demoralizing in itself, but it didn't never stop me. You know, my wife came on scene of the accident I was at. It was, thank God I didn't kill anybody. You know, for a law enforcement guy to be put behind bars was really, uh, you know, I just, I, I buried my head, but I still continued on because I thought I could beat this thing because, you know, being in the military, that's kind of the man mindset, you know, you can adapt and overcome, you know, you, you know, you never beat down, you know, you just continue to move forward until you succeed. <coughs> and alcoholism has been the first time that I've been beaten down and that I couldn't, you know, do it on my own. So, um, so I went to a couple of treatment facilities. Uh, you know, one is to just kind of for my wife, I spent 28 days there, came out. Um, the first thing I did when I got home, I drove home. I went out. <laughs> I wasn't even uh, technically sober outside two hours, and I was already at the ABC store packing up uh, uh, some liquor because I knew the fact as soon as I got out, I wanted to have some, right? So uh, and that happened twice, and uh, it just it just kept on going on and on. And she thought like a geographical move would help me. So we went from one city to the next. Not She didn't realize in the fact that she actually moved me close to my addiction because literally now I could walk across the street to a store <laughs> yeah. that, that, that also had an out, a little uh, mall outlet that had an ABC store in it. So now I didn't have to drive anywhere and I could just walk to my addiction. Right. But the positive thing was when I found out, too, is that she actually moved me in an, in an area that has so many AA meetings. I think that was one of the benefits too. So <clears throat> I struggled on and off with that for years, a couple of years with that. Um, and like uh, Mike was saying that uh, he met my wife, she started in Al-Anon a little bit earlier uh, on her recovery. And I think that's really been beneficial to us uh, in the long term in our relationship. Um, and, uh, I struggled with that. She was always gone and I had resentments. It was just, it was crazy. <clears throat> so I had, when she, after she had told me I had several trips to the emergency room that I had no idea I had been going at all. I had blackouts, brownouts, whatever outs you had, you could call them. I was having them. So, uh, yeah. So the, the last time, uh, that, I thought I was going to stop drinking was December of uh, 2016. And, uh, you know, I spent Christmas five days in detox. So I finished up that and I came out the next year, of course, 20, uh, 2017. And, uh, you know, I still thought I could kick this thing and I couldn't. And it just kept on rolling. And then uh, I was explaining to Mike uh, before the show that, you know, January 10th was the last day, you know, I, I piled up a lot of alcohol in me and, uh, I'm not sure, but why I thought a good idea was to try to walk across the street again. I made it to right outside my condo to the sidewalk and smack face down, um, into the sidewalk I went. And I remember some people talking to me, they rushed me to the ER, um, you know, and, you know, I saw it in my wife's eyes, you know, and, and I've seen it before, but, you know, seeing how she looked and just really was uh, an eye opener for me. It wasn't like a spiritual awakening, but, you know, someone's talking to you. The man upstairs talking to you. There's a lot of things that are going on. So uh, she left me there. Uh, she came me back uh, the next day 
And like I said, uh, you know, I made it home and physically it took me two days to recover from that. And, uh, you know, unbeknownst to me, she had already been talking to now who's my sponsor. Now there was a, uh, she had gotten his number two years ago. Um, so like 2015, it stuck it on the refrigerator. And uh, so I was ready to call it. And, you know, I pulled on the number off the, the refridge and, you know, called my sponsor. And then we started the, the ball rolling. And as, uh, you know, Mike was saying that, you know, you kind of take it full steam. You can't, you can't go at, you know, half in this program. If you don't take program seriously you know you're going to end up like all the stories that you hear right so i kind of looked at it like uh, military training being assimilated into the military you know i had to take it full on speed and work really hard at it same thing with aa being assimilated into the program you have to take it seriously you have to work the steps you have to talk to people you get numbers you know listening at meetings shares those kind of things uh eventually sponsorship uh, you know, working the steps. Um, you know, I just happened to, to have this out and, you know, it's uh, part of our big book reading at page 275. It says, A is not a plan for recovery that can be finished and done with. It is a way of life and the challenge contained in its principles is great enough to keep any human being striving for as long as he lives. We do not, cannot outgrow this plan. And that's kind of the way I looked at it, right? <clears throat> so, if you drew, like if you see some of the charts on a board, on a presentation, there's the circle, big circle around AA in the middle. And then there's overlapping circles on the outside. So the overlapping circles, my professional life, my personal life, you know, other things that, that mean my, uh, I don't know, uh, my spirituality, my, my physical stuff, my mental kind of all rolled up into that one big circle of a or everything overlapping. So that's, a, that's kind of the way I look at this program is that you know, everything that, that I'm doing outside of a kind of touches overlaps into the program because we're supposed to, you know, practice these principles in all our affairs. So I try to do that as much as I can. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if I mentioned, you know, I've had the same sponsor for a little over four, four years um, I've tried to sponsor some people just, it's been very difficult, especially in this COVID, uh, environment. And I've heard yeah. a lot of, yeah, I've heard a lot of struggles and, you know, big kudos to the people that, you know, come in online on zoom and say, I have eight days, you know, t uh, several months, whatever it is. Uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I'm not surprised. It's just kind of like a shock and awe to me because I'm thinking to myself, that was me. I don't know if I could stay sober. I don't know if I could be in a meeting, you know, being honest and open, you know, and I would just, you know, I have to physically be around people, you know, I have to see them, you know, that kind of stuff. So kudos to the people right now that are, are in Zoom meetings, getting it down, you know, but as I, I told everybody else, uh, being around other people, uh, being able to sit with somebody and talk to them about their stories and their struggles um, physically see them in person kind of perspective being at, at a club somewhere or in a room um, is more f for me but for now uh, it, it works and you know we go to a few meetings a week and uh, Mike knows we get couples meeting I go to a few uh, zoom meetings a week so I try to do as as much as I can uh, program wise um, you know I have my daily readings 
Um, you know, I reach out to some of my network. Um, some have not called me back uh, for various reasons. And uh, I've had several, I would say several, um, that have come with me that either have gone back out or, or have passed away. So that's, that's a tragedy that, yeah. um, that they didn't get it early on. Um, and uh, like, it's like you said, you know, some people, you know, it takes a little bit longer, but you know, I'm in my, you know, fifties, you know, I don't have time, uh, not, I have, I don't have time to waste on whether I need to or not. So the decision has to be made. You know, if you don't, you die. Right. So that's the bottom line. So, yeah. Anyways, that's kind of where I'm at. And, uh, Yeah. Yeah, and and Mike, I I really appreciate you uh, bringing that to us. And I'm I've got a few questions for you here, and uh, we're going to get to that here in a second. Uh, you know, first I just want to say that this episode is sponsored by FHE Health. FHE Health has been providing life changing behavioral health services for more than twenty years. They treat substance abuse and mental health disorders in an individualized and comprehensive approach, recognizing the specialized treatment needs of the first responder community. They've created Shatterproof. Shatterproof is a dedicated program for law enforcement, fire, rescue, and similar communities to receive treatment among peers. They're experienced in providing privacy and working with unions for employment. FHE Health is committed to providing the best care experience for our patients, for their families, and our community. Learn more at FHEHealth.com. So, Mike, you bring up a lot of very good points here. And um, I have often said, and, and as you can see, you know, since we're sponsored by FHE Health, we're uh, working with res first responders. You know, you, you've been a first responder. I've been a first responder um, and military. You and I both are, are both military. By the way, just as a side note, one thing I learned about Mike is uh, I was in the Navy. Those of you who've been li listening to this podcast know this. And I was stationed in Keflavik, Iceland for a period of time. And um the base is no longer there, but at the time, uh, the base was both Air Force and uh, Navy. And Mike and I were stationed on that base at the same time. Remember that, Mike? Now, we didn't know each I, other at the time, but we, we were located there during the same I, years. I do that. So, I remember that. So, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know you at the time, but boy, is it a small world. But I've often said on this show that uh, I know in my work in recovery – some of the toughest people to work with, and I'm and I'm saying this because I was that person that was difficult to work with. Because after all, my sobriety took about ten years from the time I knew I needed to get into sobriety to actually getting it. Um, it was difficult, and I know that I was difficult to work with it. And part of it, you know, and I and I want the listeners to listen to this closely, and maybe might get you to explain, um, you know, elaborate on this as well, Mike. Is step one of AA? You know, if if you are of a follower of AA, and I want to make it very clear on this program, I'm not advocating any particular program. That's just the program that I work. If you work another program and it works for you, then then have at it. You got to do what works. Um, so in my world, I have found that working with law enforcement and military, in particular, are difficult really difficult but if with the right attitude i think that the very reason that makes working with the military and law enforcement difficult can actually be an asset to them getting sober and i'm saying that because uh, i've watched you mike over the last four years utilize the very issues 
that made it hard for me to get sober, you've turned it around and used it as a benefit to get sober. And what I mean by that is this. If if a listener to this program is not familiar with uh, the 12 steps, the first step is I'm powerless over alcohol and my life has become unmanageable. Well, I think the problem, there was two things I did not understand in my recovery, and that was um, powerlessness, right? I was trained, you know, understand from the age of 19 on in my adult life, uh, I, you know, I was uh, a, a Navy pilot. I was uh, a corrections officer. Then I was a police officer. And then I was an FBI agent for over 20 years. And the idea of powerlessness was was beaten out of my vocabulary. It was not in my vocabulary. Um, there was nothing I was powerless over. You know, I was not powerless over anything. And so that was issue number one. But it wasn't really my fault. It was, I, it, those are good attributes in those jobs. But if you're an addict, it's, it's an absolute death sentence. And so I fought that, that idea of powerlessness, that I couldn't control anything. That was issue number one. And issue number two for me, I found out later, was um, I didn't understand truly that addiction was a disease and not a moral issue that it was a disease that I actually did not have any control over. And, and Mike, you mentioned that you had the, the genetic line for addiction in your family, and I did as well. And I didn't understand that, you know, some people have a genetic predisposition to cancer, diabetes, receding hairline, being overweight, whatever. People have genetic, you know, and, and, I, and I think most people accept that without question, that there's a genetic influence in that, right? And And I always hear that, you know. Uh, that if you want to make it in the NFL or if you want to be an elite athlete, I always hear coaches say, well, first you have to start with good genetics, okay? But, you know, but when it comes to recovery, we kind of discount genetics, but it's very real. I had that. And um, so I had the genetic predisposition and there was nothing I could do about that. And then the progression of the disease, meaning my drinking got worse and worse over the years. It never got better. And you described that in your story just now, Mike. So, um what are your thoughts on on that? You know what I threw up because uh, where I fought it for ten years before I got sober, you seem to have you embraced. So the military mentality, where it's like, okay, I got the mission in front of me, I've got the checklist, I've got the rules, I got the book. You know, here's the plan. You followed. I never did, but you did. Uh, you know, am I reading too much into that, or was that sort of your approach? No, I, I think you hit it right there. There, there are a lot, and, and I've seen it too uh, with the, my military brethren. You know, it's really across the spectrum, I would say, uh, especially early on. Uh, like you said, you know, if you feel defeated like that, we don't have that sense, uh, you know, in, in our system because we were assimilated in the military and we don't accept defeat. You know what I mean? So we're not. So what I had to do for step one is just remove the word powerless, right? So I I, I kind of came up with my own word at the time. I can't remember what it was. Was I, but I just said I I don't want to feel like I'm powerless. You know, I just I don't want to feel like that early on until you know you start working the program and then you eventually say yes. I'll just plug that back in. So I did find it funny, just an just a, an offshoot to this that. Uh, I met a man in recovery uh, that uh, was kind of uh, an atheist, and he kind of re rewrote uh, the 12 steps to kind of mirror what he wanted in his program. That It worked for him. He's been sober 20-something years, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of the things that we kind of we do in this program. I think the format is, is right spot on, and I did. I kind of looked at, like, this is, uh, this is an instruction. This is a manual. Uh, standing operating procedure for me 
uh, stay alive and, and stay sober. So that's the way I kind of had to look at it uh, because we use checklists and, you know, standing operating procedures instructions. If I don't follow these, a lot of people compare it to like, you know, having uh, taken medicine, the doctor prescribes you medicine. You don't take it, you know, you're going to die, right? You know, so take it, you know, three times a day, yada, yada, yada. So that's kind of the format I kind of looked at was this is the recipe for me anyways to stay sober. And I have a lot of friends that uh, I recently came across that I didn't realize they, uh, they're they sober, but they never go to AA meetings, but they, you know, 13, 14, 15 years uh, haven't had a drink. So uh, to me, that's, you know, that's great, uh, but that probably wouldn't work for me. But you're right. I think uh, for a lot of people with the military mindset or any kind of structural life that you have, you know, we talk about, you know, the folks that are in this, this program, the, the intellectuals, those guys. Actually, we make up the biggest part of it, right? Intellectual in AA. <laughs> well, I don't know <laughs> how intellectual I am, but uh, yeah. yeah, there are. Yeah. With, yeah. Well, we were the smartest drunks ever, right? So, um, but, <laughs> well, they, uh, they always say that my best thinking got me to where I was. So, I was certainly doing a lot of thinking, but it wasn't working out very well. And, and I agree with that. I think sometimes, uh, you know, at that level, kind of uh, overanalyze how easy this program is for complicated mm-hmm. people, like we say, right? So, mm-hmm. it's really simple. There are instructions in here how to do this, you know, half. You know, up to page 164, I believe, is just, you know, the program itself. And then the rest of it is stories, which is great. Uh, so, uh, but the original point is, yeah, it's 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 tough. But, um, you know, I didn't, I was going to try to fight it a little bit. And I've had some discussions with my sponsor. And I did at the beginning. I, I had some pushback on it uh, instead of, you know, sitting back and listening and ingesting I wanted to be argumentative, questioning, those kind of things. And it certainly that doesn't get you anywhere when you're trying to get sober and you've never done it before. And people that have years of experience are trying to teach you. So you just kind of have to let that shield down, you know, and make yourself vulnerable in the program a little bit to be, you know, have a willingness to do that, being open-minded on all the suggestions. You know, like I said, in, in the four years that I've been, certainly, Mike, you can probably attest to that being longer. You've heard the stories and, People that just don't listen or people that go back out and come back in, you know, it's the same, same old story. You know, I didn't call anybody. I didn't follow directions. You know, I didn't work the program. So, and like you said, not, this is not for everybody. It's not the only show in town, uh, but certainly uh, the numbers suggest otherwise that people that actually work the program are honest and open, you know, 70% uh, stay sober. So, yeah. And the, the, the ones, the, the 30% that don't do exactly what you were saying and they were not following the the program. And, and it's, it's so true. It, it, it really is. And it was not, and, and I will attest to this, that it was not until I fully, fully embraced following the suggestions. Now they are, they are just suggestions. They're not dictates. Nobody's making you do anything, but you know, as I heard it said once, um, jumping out of an airplane, it's only a suggestion that you put on a parachute. You don't have to put right. on a parachute. You don't have to. Nobody's going to make you do it. It's highly suggested that you do. Um, but when I put on the parachute, then all I can say is that my life got so much better. So much oh, yeah. better. My marriage yeah. has never been better. 
And I'm very, very fortunate that I've been married to one person, you know, throughout all of this. And I can tell you, it's never been better. And, um, you know, I can't speak for you in your marriage, but it, it seems like, um, you know, I remember four plus years ago, it seems like things are much better in your marriage. Would you, would you say so? I, I, you know, I totally agree with that. You know, it's not like we even have the, the great thing about it was, is we weren't struggling before that. So great marriage, everything was going great. Uh, you know, both had great paying jobs. You know, we had what we wanted material wise. We were okay. Still in love with each other, having fun, yada, yada, yada. It was that, you know, compressed four years of just, it just went down to, to the crapper, you know, and, you know, thank God we had that the prior years as a base. Now, and a lot of people can't say that, you know, maybe they struggled before that. I just, they had relationship issues even before, but we had already a base. So I think that's really, and two is she's really family orientated. You know, I won't, won't lie. She had one foot out the door and she had a lot of money saved. And, you know, if I didn't decide to get sober, she wasn't going to stay around and watch me die. She had already seen both of her parents uh, pass away uh, during my addiction and, uh, you know, back to back years. So, and that wasn't because they had their issues with uh, any alcohol or drugs, just, you know, natural selection of life. You know, people just, you know, are taken from us, but she wasn't going to stay around and, and watch me, you know, kill myself. And, and coming out, coming out of this, you know, and I told her, I said, you had every right. You know, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have stayed around either if I was pushed to the, to the envelope like you would. And she stuck through it. And, you know, and like you said, you know, working with Alan on and people that, you know, she and her program and her sponsor, you know, she started taking care of herself and, you know, less worrying about me. And, you know, finally I snapped out of it and, you know, said, Hey, you know, I give up and let's, let's, let's try this thing. And here I am over a little over four years later. So, and the biggest part is the communication process. I think that's pretty much, it's not perfect, but I mean, I think the way we, we talk to each other and how we appreciate each other now um, and our programs talk to each other. Which is, yeah. you know, awesome. You know, the Al-Anon, uh, it's not, it's not perfect, but I think that her working hers, me working mine, we're talking about it, kind of fuses us together, and we're on the same page, if if you know what I mean. And you're both very active in the community in in helping people out. Oh, we try to do as much as we can. Yeah, you you guys do a lot of work, and I and I will say, in in fairness to her, um, a lot of it, she took the bull by by the horns, not only. Uh, was she doing what she could to help you? But she was doing a lot of work on herself. And if you're listening to this program tonight, and and it's you're not the one struggling, but it's it's a loved one that you have that's struggling. Uh, one thing that Mike's wife did was she got help for herself early on. She was really doing a lot of work to take care of herself, and I think that that carried through, and it carries through to this day as well. Yeah, and and I think too part of that is, uh, and I've asked her this a couple of times is like. For us in, in AA, it's like a lifetime adventure, right? Because we're, we're permanently alcoholics, right? So we're constantly in recovery. You know, people that are in Al-Anon, you know, do you really feel a sense of connections? You, you still have to be there because your loved one's recovered. You know, I've been sober for four years, you know, for a little over four years. Mike, you've been sober a lot longer than me. Do you really need to, you know, continue to go to Al-Anon? <laughs> you know, because you still have to work on yourself. And her answer is yes. She still stays connected to the program. You know, she just got uh, she got a treasury position uh, recently. You know, she likes to talk to her her other 
Alan on friends and, and hear people's stories and if she can help out with any kind of you know comments or whatever. So yeah, I mean, she stays with it. Not because like for us, I think we, cause we need to have that, that structure of AA, you know, uh, you know, she's more comfortable with the fact that uh, she still wants to make sure she's involved. She knows, uh, you know, and she likes her group. So yeah. Yeah, and you raise a good point, is that it's not even so much about helping herself, which she is, no doubt about it, but when you get into this program and you realize what a gift that you've been given, the gift gift of life, the gift of recovery, you share that with others. And and if people that have been, you know, the, these meetings need people that have experience, that have been through this, have been through the ups and downs, and been through the ups and downs while in sobriety, by the way, because life doesn't stop once you get into sobriety. But you have to have people that are there that can guide the newcomers and help them along. I mean, after all, you don't want to go to meetings where nobody in the room has been there longer than one week. I mean, you have to have people that are there that kind of, you know, can walk you through the steps, can walk you through the process, can can help you when you're you're in those hard times. And that's that's where you're at right now. That's where your wife is at right now is is helping yep. those people. And, you know, I, I you like me and your wife, um, we're not going to meetings so much because we have to all right i don't think i'm at any risk of you know drinking tonight i don't think that you are either but that's not the point for me now the point now is i'm there to help other people and you're here to, and you help a lot of people as well and i think that's what she, one of the things about recovery is you start to realize it ain't all about you it is about other people you know mm -hmm. yeah i think it, and the other part is because if you if you start fading away a little bit, you kind of forget what you are. So if you don't stay connected, you know you might forget you're an alcoholic, and then that just I've just heard too many horror stories to let that happen. And we've heard a lot of that over the last uh, you know number of months, however long we've been in this COVID lockdown. Oh yeah. Um, you actually you started out talking about that and the fact that we're not going to meetings, we're not meeting face to face. We don't have that togetherness and that and people going back into that isolation um we've i i know you've seen a lot, a lot of relapses i have i've seen more relapses in the last eight months than i have the entire time i've been in recovery more mm -hmm. during this time frame and that's Absolutely. because people just aren't aren't meeting together the way they were now mike i wanted to ask you um so you said that um now correct me if i'm wrong on this but so you retired from the military in 2004 and then um, it seemed to you that your drinking started to pro progress after that. Is that a fair statement? That's correct. Yeah. So do you, um, just out of curiosity, um, you know, we talk about causes and conditions, right? The condition is our, we have that genetic predisposition towards um, addiction. But the cause, do, do you, how much of the not being in the military, because I, I know you and I, and I know that, uh, you know, being uh, in the military like you were is a huge part of your life. That's a, a big source of pride, which it is with all veterans. But w w with you, I've noticed that it is like a really strong part of your identity. Um, do, do you think that maybe, was there like a sense of loss on your part? Do you think that that contributed to like, you know, like, did you feel like you had kind of lost your way a bit? What, what How did that play into it? You know what? I tell you the truth, I, I don't know the exact action or feelings or, you know, I knew I was trying, I, I, the sense of loss was the camaraderie, camaraderie with the folks, you know, being part of a team, uh, those kind of things. But I don't think that led 
you know, I really did miss the military and I still continue to miss it. Um, but uh, I don't think that was a huge part of it for me. I just, I just think it just kind of escalated knowing that I think in some respect, you know, I didn't have that kind of responsibility where I was going to be on call 24 seven. Uh, I didn't have to get in uniform. I think it was a sense of celebration too, that I, as I retired and I just kept on celebrating past that point, which is kind of <laughs> odd. You know what I mean? So it's kind There's of like nothing wrong down. with having a party. It just, it needs I, to I, end at some point. Right. It, exactly. And it, it just kind of, you know, I've got, now I had, you know, I military retirement pay, you know, now I'm working at a great paying job, you know, it, it, it's life is good. You know, I own my own home, you know, all that stuff is just like you're, you're flying high and it's like this, you're still like, you feel like you're untouchable, you know, you just keep on doing what you're doing and you don't, like I said, it just was, uh, you know, something that was part of my life, but I never start uh, escalating to, to the point where I came later on in my drinking that, you know, beer turned into wine, wine turned into vodka that kind of progression because now I wasn't getting the same feeling as you know, you're not getting the same feeling you was from beer. So now you go some uh, a little bit stronger to get you that, that feeling quicker. Unless you go to wine, then wine only lasts for so long. Then it was vodka. So um, even with the fact that, you know, we talk about, you know, things that we do to manipulate our drinking, you know, like hiding, you know, stuff from, uh, you know, our wives and those kind of things, doing that things that we don't normally do. Uh, in our drinking. So, but I don't think uh, the transition from military life into civilian really had a big part of, I didn't, I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't uh, mentally or emotionally uh, depressed uh, that I was leaving the military. I was missing a lot of it, but I, I don't think that contributed to, to, to escalating in, in my drinking. I just, I think it occurred naturally, just started snowballing at a pace where I was unaware of it or again, being around other people that didn't say anything or didn't care. Yeah. And, and you talked about the isolation. So I, I think that's a, a good point is that it was more the camaraderie of the military. And I will say the same thing too. I've never, those of you that have been in the military or been in police departments know the camaraderie is never experienced quite that way anywhere else. You know, I, I can attest to that too. And you, you felt that loneliness and isolation. And then you couple that with just the genetic predisposition where it progresses over time. And that's just a deadly combination. And you had mentioned that your drinking became routine. So it was, and that's part of it too. It's just part of what you do. You're angry, you drink. You're happy, you drink. It's a Friday, you drink. It's a Saturday, you drink. Mm -hmm. It's a, a day that ends in Y you drink and then it becomes routine. <laughs> and, but then, but you mentioned something else and that is that um, part of recovery. And, and I know that I've seen this in my own life as well. Part of recovery is then developing those new routines. And when you do a routine long enough, then that just becomes the new norm because I can tell you it uh, where, where I'm at now about two, nine and a half years of sobriety when I have those bad days where I have those bad things that happen and they've that's happened. I've retired, uh, had a job, lost, lost a job. I've been to several different funerals. I've had good days. I've had horrible days at work and, and I have, I'm, I'm happy to report that in the last nine, nine and a half years, um, the thought of drinking because of any of those issues has not occurred to me. 
And a lot of mm. it is just because I've gotten out of that being my go-to, having a drink being a go-to. Uh, do you think that that's, that's part of your life now? Just that, just that new routine, uh, even on the bad days, you know, I have a bad day. Here's what I do as opposed to drink. Yeah, uh, that's, that's spot on. I, I would say the same thing. It's just, uh, it doesn't really pop into my head. Uh, you know, maybe a few times it has, uh, you know, I've had some, uh, heated arguments with, with my wife, uh, you know, sometimes and the thoughts, you know, they, they pop in there somewhere, but they, they vanish quickly because, you know, the realization is that you're like you say, you're playing the tape forward. Um, I don't play it back. I play it forward. So I'd be like, okay, you go out to have a drink and then this is what happens. Right. So the circumstances, so you run it quickly through your head. And, and, and then it goes away. So, um, like I said, it, it's happened a few times, but, you know, the, the thing now is, you know, you, you got tools uh, that we use in the program, you know a lot about and techniques that we use to do that. But I, it doesn't really come up to, with me much because, you know, what I'm trying to do is and I'm running into a problem. You know, I'm stepping back and I'm pausing from it from a little bit and, or maybe I break away from it and think about it. But certainly drinking is not. Uh, an, an option for uh, for this um, solution I'm trying to find. The solution is, you know, how can I deal with it, and what do I need to do to take care of the, the situation? Whether it's uh, meditating or talking to somebody, or you know, working out, or maybe going playing now, playing around a golf, or you know, whatever. Anything other than going to a store and buying alcohol. That's not mm-hmm. gonna like I we realize, you know, that's not gonna solve any pre- thing. It's a short-term solution for a long-term problem. So that kind of, it doesn't really filter into my mind so much anymore when I get into those situations. And to tell you the truth, that when I was drinking, I was creating more of those problems, which would create more drinking. So now that I'm not drinking anymore, I don't have those problems. So like now it's just regular life experiences. You know, it's just, I haven't had anything, I'll say I haven't had anything tragic. I remember telling people early on, I was like, you know, I'm not sure my mom's getting to the point where she's, uh, you know, she's not very well. And I think, man, the way I'm going to deal with that is just suck down a couple bottles. Right. So, but that's not really an option, is it anymore? Right. So, uh, but I, I felt like that, you know, because I love my mom. We've been connected, you know, like I said, never had really a dad. So, and we're really tight and I see people lose their moms left and right this year. And it's, it is what it is. And I always thought, man, I can't, I won't be able to deal with that. So, but now, you know, hearing stories and shares, I have ways of dealing with that. So it's really about li- listening to other folks' experiences kind of, you know, drawing me back in uh, other, other things to do besides uh, having a drink. So. Yeah. Um, and, and taking a drink won't do anything, but make it worse. Whatever problem yeah. you have, Going and having a drink or a drug, if, if that's what, what you do, is going to make the situation worse. It really is. Mm-hmm. And by the way, not to mention, um, uh, you talk about income. That's always a, you know, financial issues. That's always a big problem with people that need to be in recovery. Uh, I haven't done it recently, but I remember at one point just adding up the amount of money that I was not spending on alcohol. And it blows your mind how much money you're not spending, <coughs> which should help in the True. financial situation. Yeah. Well, that no, I was just, uh, say on my tracker over four years, and this is conservative figure that I've saved seventy five thousand dollars. Wow, and that's in four years. That's in four years, and that's con- that's conservative. Yeah, yeah, 
I would I would say the same for myself, and that that is really just taking kind of a low ball average, uh, <laughs> you know, and that and I think it blows people's minds when they when they start working that out, and mm. um, you know, so I just implore anybody that's out there listening right now, if you are on the verge of needing to be in recovery, and chances are, and you need to be honest with yourself about this, if you're listening to this program and you compelled, uh, you felt compelled to listen to this program, and you're not already in recovery. Chances are, uh, you, you have a need to be in recovery, and and you're talking to two people here that did it, and we're here, we're here and alive and well to talk about it. And if we did it, you you can do it too. Absolutely, no doubt in my mind that uh, is struggling today. What what final thoughts can you give them? Uh well, one is uh, you've got to be open and honest with yourself um, that you're you know willing to take that step. And like we, we've learned in the program, uh, at least for AA, is that, you know, being honest and open uh, with yourself. Um, it's just not, yes, I, I want to get sober. You know, I don't want to drink anymore. Um, but, you know, listening to other p- people working the program, uh, how, now how to stay sober. And if it's your time and you need to stop now, if you, th- if you think you're drinking too much, then you're drinking too much. If you think yeah, you need to be true. in a program, yeah, you probably need to be in a program. So not so much people want to do it, you know, for other people. You've got to want to do it for yourself. People want to do it for their wives or their family or, or whoever. And uh, it really comes down to wanting to do it for yourself. Are you ready to take the next step per se? Start at step zero and, and get help, the, the help that you need. Because in the end, uh, you stay on the same path. Um, it only... You dig yourself a hole where you there's no ladder to crawl out of, and uh, no one wants to see anybody certainly uh, lose their lives over you know uh, a, where there's a solution to to make sure you can stay sober and, and get away from your addiction. So yeah, and take this program seriously if you're going to get into it. Yeah, and I really love what you said that, uh, and I, I've mentioned it before on this podcast that normal social drinkers don't ask themselves those questions. You know, yeah. think about it. The The person that has that one or two glasses of wine during Christmas every year doesn't sit back and go, hmm, I wonder if I need to go to treatment. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I wonder if I need to go to an right. AA meeting. They don't have those conversations. People right. like us have those conversations. And, mm. and, I, and I love how you put, that, put it that way, Mike, that if you are asking yourself the question or if someone else has asked you that question, you probably already know the answer to that. And there is Correct. help. There is help mm-hmm. out that. So, uh, thanks again, Mike, for for joining us, and really, uh, and t- say hello to that wonderful wife of yours. I will, and thanks for having yeah. me, Mike. Appreciate it. Well, and thanks, thanks again, and folks. This episode is sponsored by uh, FHE Health. According to SAMHSA, first responders are thirty percent more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty. Find out more at FHEHealth.com, FHEHealth.com. And so, as I'd like to always say, we don't represent any group on this this podcast. Uh, I do not represent anyone, and Mike doesn't represent anyone other than ourselves. Our only purpose is giving this information is to share with you what we've done because it's helped us and maybe it'll help you too. So if we said anything that you don't agree with, um, try to take something that we did say that you can find useful and just discard the rest. You know, that's what we do in recovery. We're just trying to help ourselves and help 
others along the way and impart whatever knowledge we have to help uh, help people along the way. So with that, please visit our Facebook page, Recovery is Possible, and our website, VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. And let me know how I'm doing and let me know if there's a topic that you're interested in hearing because I'd love to hear from you. So guys, take care. Mike, and thank you for being on the show and we will see you guys next time. We're out.